Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. Here's your host, Emmy Award-winning journalist, Joel Waldman. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, as Detective Phil Waters is uh, muttering to himself on a Friday morning for him, a Friday afternoon for us. Great Scott, it's your true crime Phil. With Phil and Scott. Who else? It's a show so good, it happens every Friday. And I got to say, I've really grown to love these two men and STS Nation. And I love the fact that it happens on Friday when I'm a little loopy. Uh, and uh, I don't know, not thinking quite rationally. Anyway, uh, let me introduce Phil for the nine millionth time. He is America's most respected detective. He spent decades in law enforcement becoming a world expert at obtaining criminal confessions. I just told Susan Constantine the other day, I don't know that I'd want to be Phil's son because he would obtain confessions from me. Uh, I'd have to get Shane on the show one day. He spent 23 years working as a homicide detective in the Houston PD. He's investigated more than 400 homicide cases. Uh, he is also a Marine and the owner of Kindred Spirits Investigations. And he also starred in the show, The Interrogator, but he just starred in a better show called Surviving My Best Case, which Scott Duffy also appeared on. And uh, Phil told me an amazing story last night, a crazy story with crazy twists and turns about a triple homicide he investigated in Houston in 2015. And uh, we will have that for you uh, in about a week or so after the chief technical officer and now my chief uh, editor, editor-in-chief, chief editor, I guess an editor-in-chief would be for a newspaper. Once she's done editing is what I'm saying. We'll have it. Meanwhile, Scott Duffy, who I could tell got a nice, sweet new haircut and is sporting a great, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> he is a retired FBI supervisory special agent of the Wilmington, Delaware Residence Agency. He worked uh, violent crime matters, gangs, bank robberies, and fugitive task, task force cases for 20 years. Prior to the FBI, he served five and a half years as a Pennsylvania police officer. And if you haven't seen Great Scott's Surviving My Biggest Case, it's all about a wild bank robbery, which takes on a life of its own. Uh, a quick reminder, this Sunday, a new time, 12 p.m. Eastern time, it is going to be Brunch with Carm. She's making her comeback. Don't call it a comeback. She's going to be live from Israel, so we have to do it at noon. I've got to accommodate Hawaiian time, Israel time. The guests are in L.A., so we are truly an international global show. So uh, she will be back Sunday. Um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are at Podcast STS, Patreon, and YouTube. Uh, feel free to support the show. And uh, the merch store is open, and I'm working on getting hats. Uh, since we are beginning uh, with the evildoer, as Phil calls him, uh, as you know, I like to uh, begin by remembering the victims. Of course, we've got Kaylee Gonzalez, 21, Madison Mogan, 21, Zana Kernodal, 20, Ethan Chapin, 20. Uh, let us not forget the victims and their families. Uh, Ketchup is checking in. I think she's ditched South Florida for North Carolina. Hey, SCS fan and best guest, great Scott and the one and only Phil Waters. Always a great start to the weekend. Thank you for the show from Candy. 
Shaq is here once again. Best show on YouTube. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. It's only because Phil and Scott are on. Uh, this looks like a new name. Cinderella. Now, she's been here before uh, thanking us. So, ooh, a lot to go over here. Um, I have a feeling that this is going to annoy you, uh, Phil Waters. But uh, in the Brian Koberger case, the judge, otherwise known as Judge Judge, he just granted the defense uh, their uh, request. And that request is for police training records of three police officers who are behind his arrest. And they're doing this in a bid to challenge the police officer's credibility and reliability. You're a 33 or 34-year veteran of law enforcement. Does this get under your skin that they're taking this uh, approach? Before I answer that, the first thing I want to say is, Scott, I watched your, uh, your case. Awesome. Uh, when, I can, when I can watch uh, those inner workings of, of excellent investigators and detectives working to get to that ultimate end, which is a successful prosecution, finding the right person who's done the wrong thing, it's always a great, uh, great ending. So a great show. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. By the way, my son was asking about you guys. Uh, for those who don't know, after the show, uh, my four-year-old likes to pop on and say hello to these two guys. And uh, out of the blue, out of the blue, a week later, he says, when am I going to see those famous police officers again? And I said, kid, only one of them was a police officer. The other one is an FBI agent. Get it straight. And he said, what are you talking about? But uh, anyway, he was asking about you guys. So go back to Koberger. Um, they're going to try to go after the cops, it appears. Uh, does it annoy you? No. No, that's that's part of the drill. Look, these, again, the evildoer does not have to prove that he is not guilty. So the, uh, the defense attorneys are doing what they are supposed to be doing, which is offering him the best defense he can. They're doing their due diligence. They're checking the boxes. And I'm not surprised at all that they're getting these training records. One of the first questions that was always asked of me when I got on the stand was, is what is the scope of your training? And I would, of course, I had over 3,000 hours of training in law enforcement, but I did not belabor that. I just kind of hit the high points of the different types of training that I've had. So I'm not surprised at all. Mm. And the, the, the other side of that request is, you know, you better be careful what you wish for. They may find out that those, because they're going after the officers that made the scene, that the initial patrol officers that got there. So, you know, uh, and, have, and what they're going for is did they secure the scene properly? Was there any contamination at the scene that may have resulted from something they, that they did or they didn't do? So I, I get it, and I'm not annoyed by it. It's just part of the process. Phil, did that worry you when you were uh, a working homicide detective that, uh, you know, the patrol officers, the street guys could potentially screw up the scene for you somehow? Would you, I mean, would you ensure when you arrived on scene that everything was copacetic? Did that ever, uh, I mean, was that a, was that a constant worry of yours it was not a worry if there was something that i saw at the scene that had been look i had veteran cops uh, 
you know, veteran harness bowls out there. I worked a, a, a shooting that ended up being referred to a grand jury because it was a, it was justifiable. The guy was breaking into a guy's house and uh, he used a shotgun to dispatch this person who was breaking into his bedroom window. And the senior officer at the scene, who I knew, I asked him, where is the weapon? And he told me he had secured it in the trunk of his patrol car. And I kind of looked at him and I said, really? So you took the weapon off the scene and put it in your patrol car. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, yeah, I really stepped into that one. Didn't so things like that. And then I, we had a guy that which was bizarre, but he would, at a shooting scene, he had a propensity for, uh, I think I've talked about this before, had, for disassembling the weapon. No, I don't think and, I've ever heard this. Yeah. He, so he, he, would, he would go to a, a scene of a shooting and, again, for securing the weapon purposes, instead of just securing the freaking scene and making sure nobody gets in there, he would take the weapon apart and leave it in a little pile where he found it. Well, you, you, you cannot go back and reinvent the wheel. You cannot reestablish that scene. So that, that part of the scene has been contaminated at that point. And the, the, the first time he did it, I just said, you know, you need to, not do that. They did it a second time. And I wasn't at the scene, but I got the phone call from the scene and the and it was him. And he told me that he had done that again. And I just said, you know, you gotta quit doing that. That's <laughs> that's insanity. You've got to quit. You know, nobody's impressed with your expertise in being able to disassemble and reassemble these weapons. So uh yeah, I mean it, it's but again it wasn't a worry if it was something that happened regardless of what it was, then we just dealt with it and moved on. Phil Waters, uh, very quickly, because I have to get to Scott or I will get yelled at that I'm ignoring Scott, which I'm not. But uh, when you understand and, and the lawyer had the chutzpah to say, what are your credentials? You did not just say, do you not know who Detective Phil Waters is? You wouldn't say that. <laughs> no. What's the matter with you? I never, never thought that much of myself, certainly. It was always, I just... Hmm. From what the background is, my training, my education, and experience, and very brief bio, and that was it. Mm, there you go. Uh, Tali joining us from Israel. Hey, Joel, STS fam. We started with the Sassy Sunday, and now Phil and Scott, Looney Friday Stories. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, my friend Mish in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Julie Frew in the UK. Holy moly, I've got the right day and the right time. Hey, STS Nation. It is confusing, I guess, when you're overseas, but get it straight, Julie. Uh, Pam Hart Young coming to us from Idaho, I believe. Best guest, best show. Facts. If you're here, hit the like button. Please do that. And uh, Scott Duffy, uh, your take on this. So the Latah County District Judge, John Judge, love the name, has granted legal permission uh, to uh, the defense team in this win uh, to get these police training records. The officers' names are not being uh, released. Uh, they say, the defense says, that these officers conducted critical interviews with witnesses 
and made decisions regarding the investigation. Uh, really, only Phil Waters and you should be allowed to question anyone, but apparently these officers did. Um, the defense um, offered up that they're, quote, unquote, not on a fishing expedition. Uh, Scott Duffy, are they on a fishing expedition? What do you make of this, that they're uh, trying to go after your people, law enforcement? Makes me angry, but go on. Yeah, I could see how it makes you angry, but I agree with Phil. This is part of standard operating procedure. I would, I would even go to say that the defense was not doing their most or their best or following up if they did not seek, at least try to seek these records, much less try to get backgrounds or personnel. This, this was pretty common anytime we were going to, not beyond a grand jury, but if we were prepping for trial, um, I would get an official letter. It would go into my file, my personnel file. It would be from the prosecutor's office seeking anything that might be relevant or that can be what we call impeachable, right? So if um, I screwed up on the job, I did something that is totally irrelevant of the case, but it was something of a personnel matter. It could be possibly uh, used uh, as an impeach, you know, to impeach the witness, so to speak. And you're going to do that with any witness that's not law enforcement. You're you're going to pull backgrounds. You're going to you're going to pull criminal records. You, you know, both defense and prosecutors are looking at their witnesses and then making a decision whether or not prosecution is going to call a certain witness. Prosecutors may say, hey, we're not going to call a particular law enforcement witness, perhaps because there is something in the personnel file or something lacking. And um, why, why offer that? But at the same time, that information is provided to defense. So it's not that it's held from the defense. It's just, hey, we're not going to use this witness. It's not necessary in the chronology of our events. Um, and and so be it. It allows the defense if they so choose it. But I, I've not seen where they would call upon a law enforcement witness. So I absolutely believe defense is doing due diligence in because when you don't have... If you, if, if you don't have a defense in the sense of we can defend our client because we can prove he wasn't there, didn't do this, didn't do that, it's not his DNA, whatever else the evidence is going to show, you go after the investigators. And that's we've seen that for some time. And uh, Scott Duffy, when you were called to testify and the defense would ask for your credentials, would you tell them to buzz off or would you give the credentials? <laughs> Yeah, and that that was already provided. Uh, the 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 standard is what's your name, what do you who do you represent, and how many years in law enforcement, and that and and that would pretty much I would I would say the standard, and and this is in pretty much every search warrant or arrest warrant. I would give a paragraph of my credentials up to that point, including relevant training. So it, it would be. For example, I did 15 weeks in the police academy and I did another 15 weeks in the FBI academy. And all that is inclusive of invest, you know, investigation 101, the law 101, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it, it pretty much every trial that I had testified in, it, it was uh, it was a go to question. Give mm -hmm. us your background. 
By the way, uh, STS Nation, I'd like you guys to weigh in on who has a snazzier shirt today, uh, Phil Waters or uh, Scott Duffy. Uh, my vote right out of the gate, sorry to say, Phil, is going to be Scott Duffy today. I like the dark blue with the spots, but let's see what the nation says. Seagulls. He's what a seagull. See, oh, seagulls. Even yeah. better, a beach shirt, even though you're not at the beach, uh, at the beach state today. today. Uh, Phil Waters, Jody Johnson says, I've rearranged my husband's dinner to watch the live today. That's how much I love you guys. Hypothetically, Phil, if your wife was a fan of this show and she changed your dinner time to watch it, uh, would you be aggravated by that? To watch me or to it, watch somebody else or to watch you. Else. Yeah, to watch me. Would it aggravate you? Yes. No. Let's say it was a totally uh, different I, show. I would probably go ahead and eat. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Shout out to Lindsay from uh, Jersey. Great answer so far. So far, whatever. Um, so, Phil, back to this. And... Uh, Wi-Fi is looking a little. It's always been so crisp today. It's a little uh, cloudy, but it's all good, Phil, um, as long as I can hear you. Um, so State obviously came out and confirmed that they are going to seek the death penalty against uh, the man you call the evildoer. And Koberger's defense, in regard to asking about the you know information on these police officers, said, and I quote here, there is a heightened standard. Now that the state has announced its intent to seek the death penalty, and these, meaning the police training, is very relevant. They're very relevant pieces of information. I mean, beyond just the police investigation part of this, how much do things really ratchet up uh, when you are dealing with a capital case? Um, can you, do you know the number of capital cases that you were involved with, Phil, off the top of your head? I do not. I'd have to. I could look in my little book here and tell you that if you count. I mean, off, is it like but, a, uh, is it like three? Is it a dozen? Is it twenty one? Oh no! I, I put. I was part of uh, nine cases that were uh, uh, ended up on death row. So uh, there's nine capital cases right there. And I, I know twenty three years. I'd have to go. I'd have to go count them up. By the way, this is funny. Michelle says, look at this. Phil and Scott are in the wrong places. My OCD cannot deal. It's good for you. It's um, exposure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's we, expo it's we exposure. That last, last time this happened, we, we, should we I do it or should it. I? We flipped it. You were able to flip it. I should make. I think you ought to. I think you ought to because I'm a little weirded out about seeing Scott below me. That's a little yeah. All right, hold I on a second. Scott up there think, above me. I think we did <laughs> where this. Most, where most people put him. That's right. Hold, hold on a second. <laughs> hold, hold on a second. Uh, did that work? That didn't work. Same spot. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Now, now St. Scott. <laughs> Is above where <laughs> where most of the haters would prefer him to be. That's a good name, Saint Scott. I'm gonna invoke <laughs> that one. Uh, so, Phil, back back to the show here. Um, the death penalty. How much for those of us who are not um, detectives with your uh, history and background and experience? 
how much does it really impact the case uh, in terms of being a capital case? Well, in terms of the prosecution, it, it does intensify it because the, the goal is when it is a, a when it is a case, I'll just some, use some of mine as an example. The cases that ended up being death penalty cases were accompanied with confessions. And when that's the case, and those confessions, look, that's, that's the most powerful piece of evidence that you can get is the defendant or the evil doer in that particular case has in their own words said what they did and then demonstrated what they did that's very very hard to overcome so most of those capital cases the point of the of the defense is to save them from being executed or be rehabilitated as i say and so the focus becomes not not a question of guilt uh, not guilty or guilty, it becomes we're going to try to save this person's life. And so that becomes the focus. And that way, the defense attorney can get focused on what the purpose here is. And uh, so there's, uh, and there's two, there are two uh, considerations when a death penalty case comes forward that the jury has to consider. Are there any mitigating circumstances behind the event itself? And uh, is this person a further threat to the to the public, uh, mm -hmm. to society? And those things have to be considered when assessing the death penalty. So it is a it is a more, I guess, from the from the perspective of the defense and from the prosecution. I mean, it is just a more intense process because of the nature. Of the of the case itself and being tried as a death penalty case versus a non-death capital. Uh, Phil, if my ears do not deceive me, I think I just heard two cockadoodle doos. Am I hearing this right in the background, in the distance? Yeah, that would be the roosters that live behind us here <laughs> that uh, have not quite figured out. You know, they start that crap. You know, they start that they start that crap at uh, at dawn. Uh -huh. And of course, they're out there crowing, and you know, <laughs> and then they spend the rest of the day strutting around, thinking that they're the ones that caused the sun to rise. So yes. uh, they're now out furthering what they thought they did this morning. So yeah, that's the. Yeah. I should listen to that cockadoodle do. It's crazy. Um, by the way, uh, I have to. Uh, Ask where is Nugget right now? Napping right behind you, as per usual. Nugget. Yeah. Well, she just heard her name. Okay. All right, Nugget. She was on the map here. Here she comes. Come here, Nugget. Right, here. Come here. Here we go. Here you. Go. Okay. She heard you say her name, and she looked up. And so up, here Nugget? she is. Here's Nugget today. Nugget's What's up, here. Nugget? I have an interesting she's, dog she's story. Let me tell you my story today, Phil and Scott. Scott, do you have a dog? I do. Yeah, I think I asked Pearl. you. What? What? What's yeah, you dog? did ask. It's a it's a white Pyrenees. Yeah, he had a dead, dead shark, the dead dog pillow, right? Wasn't that? 
That's the that's, that's my dog pillows. Yeah. My dead dog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The dead, the dead dog. <laughs> my pillow. first rescue. <laughs> so today, uh, today yours truly is home all alone. Kids are away. Wife went to pick up daughter from sleepaway camp, and uh, I was in the shower. And when I come out, you know, Miami, the weather moves fast, and there is a lightning and thunderstorm. And uh, to my chagrin, I had realized I left Ethel Bug Johnson, that is her full name, um, outside. We have a, a fenced-in yard. Uh, Ethel's a boxer, and she's two, and she has the vertical leap of Michael Jordan on steroids. So she can jump. And I guess she got scared. I came out of the shower. I, I hearkened for Ethel, and uh, no one came. And she sometimes hides. Uh, Lo and behold, this usually happens anytime I go away. The running joke is the chief technical officer has a major disaster. Uh, there was actually one time in Washington, D.C., where uh, half of the SWAT unit showed up at my home in D.C. It's another that's an entire show. Uh, my wife was scantily clad. The SWAT team stayed there for a very long time. That's a completely. But today I come out. Ethel is gone. It's, this time it's on me. Um, I literally go get in my car to drive around the neighborhood and, uh, sure enough, police officer in his SUV, uh, is coming down the street and, uh, he had Ethel in custody. He had her in custody. He had her by the collar. She had jumped over the fence and he returned her to me in one piece. Um, I gave her a kiss and then I smacked her on her behind, and uh, all is well in the world. Uh, Michelle is watching us from uh, South Africa, and Valerie Kerr is cock-a-doodle-doing that she made a live. Um, Phil, you should really change your text message uh, from a bozo horn to, uh, to a cock-a-doodle-do. That's my recommendation. But I digress. Um, Scott Duffy. The prosecution during all of this uh, back and forth said that they have already handed over because they were getting pressured from the defense. So they said, look, we've given you 10,000 tips and 51 terabytes of audio and video information. How much is that? Uh, you've handled so many cases. Is this like an inordinate amount of information? How do you even go through 10,000 tips and 51 terabytes of audio and video? It seems like something you... You know, it would take a couple of years to sift through from an investigative standpoint. How, number one, is it a lot? Number two, how do you comb through it all? That's a lot of information. And, uh, and 10,000 tips, you know, depending on how long those tips could be, they could be, you know, several pages per tip. So that's, that's a lot. And, um, but it's uh, good for the prosecution, turning everything over, turn it over and uh, let them sift through it, whatever. Um, so my guess is they're going to be requesting additional funding for assistance in going and analyzing the data they have. But, you know, at the same time, it could be information that has nothing to do with the case. It could be every imaginable complaint that's, um, you know, hey, my dog barked or, you know, the, the, the sky lit up with fireworks. You know, it's it's uh, but it does sound like a lot of information and it will take time to go through. Well, uh, Julie Frew, I did not know this from the UK. Joel, can we have a big shout out from Marina Archetype, who's always here, who's gone through a lot due to an incident in London yesterday. 
let her know her SGS family is with her. We are with her, and uh, I hope she's doing well. Um, if she is uh, in custody, I'll have to get Phil Waters and Scott Duffy on it, but hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully she is okay, and uh, please keep us informed and let us know. Um, Phil Waters, I know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. The judge decided to extend the gag order, uh, to continue the gag order, um, to both law enforcement and investigators, uh, that came up during last week's hearing. He doesn't want anyone talking. Do you support that? I think you do. Yes. Good answer. Let's move it along. Then. You was a yeah. on that? <laughs> you don't, unless you want to, you don't need to. <laughs> no, it's a great answer. I love that. No, answer. no, no. I, I mean, I, that's, that's the, that's, that there's wisdom in that. I think the judge is right on about that, and they don't want this thing as, as much as it already has been. They don't want to try it in the uh, in the public square, in the public arena. Mm. By the way, it is uh, the skies are opening up once again. So if I suddenly, if you don't see surviving the survivor, you'll know that it's Florida's weather. Um, some things we don't have power over uh, could be the man above that cuts this show short today, but hopefully that does not happen. I uh, look at this brunch with Carm. Uh, Tali said, "Thank God it's Israel time, so she doesn't doesn't have to be up till two in the morning." Um, hello, STS. Um, did they have a did they have a secret hearing yesterday on the six? I don't know. I think I had read something about that. If anyone has information on that, please let me know. Uh, Ketchup points out, Joel looking a little more bronze there. Uh, I've been stuck out in the sun uh, here in Miami where it's 197 degrees. So I finally have turned the corner from red into a little brownish. That takes like nine months of uh, me being in the sun for that to happen, but it has finally happened. Um, Scott Duffy, this is right in your wheelhouse. Not only did they go after the police uh, during the latest court hearing, unless they had a secret one yesterday, the defense also asked for additional information about the FBI team, the FBI team who provided cell phone records used in the probable cost affidavit. Uh, so now they're going after the feds, too, in terms of the defense. Uh, any shock there and any thoughts about uh, why and you know, it relates to phone records specifically? Yeah, so we know the FBI provided a lot of assistance with regards to the cell phone, cell towers analysis, right, to get to to be able to track the phone and place the phone at different relevant spots, especially the time leading up to the uh, the homicide, right? So, um, no, it doesn't surprise me. I I I actually just took it for granted that when they are going after law enforcement's personnel records and training that that meant any law enforcement officer involved with the case from the first officer on the scene to every relevant investigator that may or may not have written a report, a supplemental, whatnot, to, uh, to have given to this case. So that, that extends to the FBI, to state and every local agency, including university, campus police. So it's... Um, no, it's it's part. It's still it's part of part of the job. You know that if you're if you're offering assistance to a case and you put your name anywhere on a report, um, 
that that you could be called to testify. Mm. Uh, Kim Schofield is saying hi from Utah, and uh, this one's important. I'll tell you why. First time from Hungary, from Max Chronicler, and uh, I think I mentioned this, and uh, it's stressing me out because it's both good and bad, but Carm, with the loss of my father, my mother said, you know, you've never seen my hometown where she had a high during the war and I'm finishing up this book. And so she graciously offered to invite me and my wife and my three little children. So we are actually going to be going to Hungary and then to Serbia in not we're here all next week and a day or two the following week. And then I'm going to be gone until August 1st. And that's stressing me out because I don't want to come back and see three people watching the show. Uh, that's part of why I had Phil on and why I'm doing these surviving my biggest cases. So I'm still getting you guys some quality shows. But this is a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, I have never seen Carm's birthplace. She's going to take me to uh, she was hidden during the war. She's going to show me that. Uh, she's going to show me where she was liberated in Budapest. Phil's a big fan of history. So I'm going to witness it with my own eyes. Not to get deep and crazy and whatever, but when I said Budapest, so my mother, uh, after she was in hiding and after she reunited with my mother, they went running off to Budapest, which they were actually in Yugoslavia, Budapest, of course, in Hungary. And uh, the Russians liberated them. Um and prior to being liberated, they had absolutely no food. So my grandmother would have to go out after during these bombardments and there would be dead horses laying on the cobblestone streets. And my grandmother would have to slice off pieces of the horse in order to eat. And that is what they ate. That's a little glimmer into what this book is about. Um, but that is what I'm going to do. So, uh, I'll keep you guys updated. I uh, didn't want to depress anyone with any uh, stories about eating horse meat. Uh, it's the last thing on earth I'd want to do. And there's two of them standing outside Phil's house. So I hope they close their, I hope they earmuff themselves for that conversation. Uh, shout out once again here to LA, not so confidential. My, uh, uh, my daughter-in-law my, my daughter has Hungarian heritage and oh, yeah? uh, her father is Hungarian and, and he's he goes to the he goes to Hungary on a regular uh, basis. And uh, Budapest is a beautiful city. I'd like to I'd like to go there one day myself. So, yeah. Phil, so, one day cool. I would like to go there with you and Scott. We should do a live from Budapest. No, I hear Budapest is amazing. Um, it's beautiful. So I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. But uh, SGS Nation, stay with us, man. I don't want to come back to three subscribers. Stay with me. Anyway, on we go here. Um, Phil Waters, uh, the house, the house, 1122 King Road. So the owner, you know, he donated it after this to the university. The university now wants to tear it down. Uh, the Gonzalez family and I believe a couple others, maybe two other of the families came out. Uh, but the Gonzalez family specifically said the university asked for the family's opinions on the demolition and then proceeded to ignore those opinions and pursue their own self-interest. How important from an evidentiary standpoint, uh, Phil Waters, is it to keep this house up? And from a jury standpoint, in case they want to do a, you know, a walkthrough here. 
I don't know at this point that it makes any difference. The only thing I would see is the defense wanting to walk the jury through the house. And that would be a defense issue. I don't see anything to be gained uh, with the prosecutors of, of doing that. And I think they've got certainly enough enough evidence. They've they kept that that house secure for weeks and now they've they've gleaned every piece of evidence that can be taken out of it. And as Scott's already mentioned, we've got look, we've got this this thing with these three officers, and they, I think these are the two or three that initially made the scene and talking to witnesses and that kind of thing to address that. They did exactly what they were trying to do, what they're supposed to do. That's the only way that we get information as homicide detectives to make those scenes is when we get that call. We're going to first meet with the patrol officer, the primary unit that made that scene, to discuss who they've talked to in terms of witnesses and so forth and so forth and what those people say. So... You know, this this stuff about uh, what the defense is trying to go for here, uh, it, I think it's it's going to it's not going to bear anything that's going to be particularly significant. But in terms of the house itself, you know, the gun call, I mean, uh, you know, the they've always got the other the other argument for not doing something or doing something. So, look, I, I don't think there's any at this point there's any evidentiary value left in that structure. And the only thing that I would see happening is the defense wanting to, the defense wanting to walk the jury through that, through that structure for whatever purpose. So, mm. you know, I, I don't, if we were in Las Vegas, I'd call it a push. Mm. Danielle Malley, hello from Boca Raton, my favorite show of the week. Danielle, I don't know if I've ever seen you before, so welcome to the show. And uh, Spanish is not my strong suit, but the chief technical officer is fluent. And uh, it occurred to me the other, other day that Boca Raton uh, means mouth of the rat. And I asked my wife about that. and She says, in fact, it does. But uh, my wife, who was born in L.A., said, uh, yeah, you know, in English, I just it never occurred to me either. But it does mean mouth of the rat. So there you go. Boca, Boca Raton. Um, Tali, I'm very glad you asked this. This is for Phil Waters. Did you watch the Peterson verdict? It was a good one. Very emotional. He is the Parkland school officer acquitted on all counts. Uh, Phil Waters was not happy to see him charged and on trial, and he was uh, he walked out of the courthouse a free man. Phil, uh, what do you think? What say you? I was ecstatic. I was so proud of that jury seeing through this politically motivated, emotionally based prosecution that was in error from the very beginning that was those those prosecutors ought to be ashamed of themselves that office and um so i was i was ecstatic now the other side of that coin is where does deputy peterson go to get his good name and his reputation back probably nowhere but uh you know well he was acquitted i mean the point is that you can't unring that bell 
And there are going to be people from now to the second coming. They're going to believe that he was guilty of something in that, in that incident. And that's, I, I saw one of the parent, one of the fathers look and, Thoughts and prayers to those families that were affected so greatly by that. But I saw one of the fathers in that courtroom that testified. And when they came back with the verdicts, that he's sitting there shaking his head. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you thinking? The person that did what they did has been found guilty and they're spending the rest of their life in prison. That should have been a death penalty case. That guy should be sitting on death row. Let me tell you, that guy did what they did. That guy should be permanently rehabilitated, but the jury made their yeah, decision. So, so I to get, I, I don't even, I, I really, it's hard for me to understand what they think, what more they think they're getting by prosecuting and persecuting this deputy that was on site there trying to find a way of, to protect those children. And to suggest that he had anything to do with that is just wrong. So, uh, yeah, I was, but to answer the question, I was ecstatic. But that was, that was awesome. Kim uh, is commenting what we're all thinking. It's been a crazy week in the world of crime, and I've been looking forward to great Scott all week. And there he is uh, in his seagull shirt. Um, and this is, uh, we're now moving off of, uh, Koberger onto Rudy Farias. Uh, Scott, I don't know what you know about Rudy Farias. Uh, looks like I'm catching you off guard, which I love. But this is a wacky, crazy story. Um, Rudy Farias, his full name is Rudolph. Uh, he's now a 25-year-old man. He was reported missing eight years ago, Scott Duffy. Um, but it turns out he's been living with his mother the entire time. Uh, details are still coming forth, but Houston police, Phil Waters, said that Farias was not missing between the time frame of the piss- missing. I just said the, I just said the a P instead of M. It's the way this is going. Oh my God! By the way, I was once on Fox in New York, and instead of saying pawn shop, I said porn shop. Uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what was on my mind. Never got more emails in my life. So I'm sure instead of missing and I said pissing, I will get a lot of emails today. But it got a laugh out of Phil. So there you go. Um, by the way, my dad, anytime something crazy like that would happen, uh, his rationale, so my dad was such a smart man. He would said, he said, uh, if you were humiliated or embarrassed, he said, look at it the other way. You gave someone a good laugh. I just gave Phil Waters a good laugh right there. So, uh, there you go. Um, anyway, details are still coming forward, but the Houston PD says that uh, this guy, Farius, was not missing. Um, Scott Tuffy, any initial thoughts before I go any further? Because there's some stuff that sort of gets revealed here, and it is disturbing. But uh, what about the fact that, I mean, how can someone go allegedly missing for eight years since 2015 only to be discovered to not be missing? Shouldn't the Houston Police Department have known that he wasn't still missing. I mean, that's where I got confused right off the top. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah. Um. So, was anybody looking for him? I. <laughs> so, who's he missing from? Like, if he's living with his mother and his mother 
is not going to report well, him missing. Yeah. So this Did story, he have a wife yeah. or a girlfriend or somebody in his life. Well, let's let's go down the uh, <laughs> let's go down the uh, list of information here. So on March seventh, twenty fifteen, uh, he was then seventeen years old. Um, he went missing while he was walking two of his dogs. Um, investigators said that he was experiencing depression and he had seen his brother die uh, right in front of him. I, I don't know the circumstances of uh, that uh, death. Um, but recently, um, in late June of this year, he was found sleeping in front of an East Houston church. And then his family released a statement saying that, quote unquote, a good Samaritan located him unresponsive and immediately called police in 911. When he was found, he was nonverbal. Um, he was uh, supposed to be taken to the hospital, but he refused and then was left in the care of his family. And his mother, Phil Waters, says her name is Janie Santana said that her son was, quote-unquote, receiving the care he needs to overcome his trauma. Um, Phil, this is a very weird story. Uh, again, there's sort of a bombshell twist uh, that we're coming to, but what do you make of this so far, Phil Waters? And this is your, uh, not your hometown, because Tulsa is your hometown, but uh, your adopted hometown of Houston. Well, those guys, I have not spoken to any of my contacts and missing persons about this case, but just what I'm reading and the statements that have been made by, by I think, by HPD, um, the whole thing sounds to me to be, for whatever reasons, some sort of attention-getting something or other that started eight years ago and the only reason it gets exposed is because he's found unconscious at a church and all of a sudden everybody goes well this is the guy that's been missing for eight years and now we've got this stuff coming i think i read somewhere where he was supposedly sexually i mean you talk about every ism in the book now this applies to this guy and but, but, then you've got but, the mother apparently that yeah, but Phil Waters, let me ask you this. When, when someone goes missing, like, what's the protocol? Like, do the police occasionally come by to see if he's still missing? They just take it at face value? Um, was there any issue, in your opinion, here with the investigation, potentially? No, those missing person cases, uh, the first thing they're going to look into, especially a kid this age, and look, 17 in the state of Texas is the date. Uh, you know, is the age of uh, of adulthood. So um, he still living at home and so forth and so on. I'm sure it was looked in at the aspect of whether he's a runaway. Those things possibly eliminated the thing about the dogs showing up and he was with them and he's not with them now, and he was depressed and so forth and so on. I'm sure the missing person would. Consider the fact that he may have gone off somewhere and, and committed suicide, that kind of thing. So all those things are considered. But let me tell you what, there are a lot of missing person cases that are reported. There's not enough manpower or time 
to look into all of those cases to the extent that they're checking on them daily, weekly, whatever. And in a, in a case like this, where technically he's an adult, if he just made the decision that he just didn't want to be found, which has happened, then that's that's the case. And there's not really anything. And if there are no affirmative links, or excuse me, if there are no active leads that give these missing persons detectives something to follow up on, well, then it ends and they move on to the next one. And it becomes at some point the responsibility of the reportees, which in this case are going to be his mom, I believe. I think that's one that initially reported all this, or the family. They're going to be, they're the ones that are responsible for letting detectives know that, guess what? He's not missing anymore. And apparently that's not what happened here. So this uh, thing was kept hidden yeah. from the detectives. I assume it's a so, once. I assume uh, once you report someone missing, and if they come back and you don't inform police, is that a crime? Phil Waters Wi-Fi is a little. I don't know different. that. I don't think. It, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't. I don't. I don't believe it is. But um, the. The thing about it is, if when the, when these people are a bona fide missing person case, they are entered into NCIC, TCIC. They're entered into databases that are nationwide. And so, if that person they come across that person somewhere, anywhere in the country, and they're identified and they're run, they will come up as a missing person. So it, it's not like it just happens in a vacuum and they're reported missing and then the detectives do what they do and then they move on. They do all the things they can do to put this person up where there's some visibility if that person is found. So uh, this whole thing here, though, appears to me, and this, and I'm just reading what I've read about it, is that for whatever reason, this mother or this family decided that they were going to stick with this story when he showed up, whenever he did finally show up, and they decided to not report him found. And so I think the frame, the, the term that I saw in one of the newspaper articles was, he's been hiding in plain sight for eight years. And there were apparently other people around that knew it. And again, he doesn't get exposed or found until he is found, passed out, at some church somewhere. So and uh, there, that's there might what be exposed a, all of this. There, and there, I think there might be a reason for that, Scott, which we're going to get to. First, Davina says, snazzy Scott wins. Davina's on my side. Um, look at this. This is, this is uh, shaking me to the core in a good way. Tara Well says, my husband is getting pizza tonight because I can't miss the show. We're literally altering men's lives because of this show. Um, proud to be a part of that. Uh, good to hear, Tara. Uh, I like pizza. I hope your husband enjoys his pizza tonight. By the way, Phil, in Texas, uh, you become uh, an adult at 17. Um, Jews are pretty smart people, but, um, you know, I became a man when I was 13 in Jewish tradition with my bar mitzvah. 
Um, at 13 years old, I think I was four foot nine. Um, didn't have a hair on my body. I had feathered hair parted in the middle. Um, that's when they claimed I was a man. Maybe because in biblical times you matured a little faster. But um, I should not have been declared a man at 13, Phil. I'm not sure that I should be declared one today. But uh, here I am nevertheless. Look at this. Scott is... Well, the big difference there is the well, but the big difference is you're a Jew. You're Jewish. You're raised in that, uh, in that nation. So uh, I would not go discounting uh, the the certainly the uh, heritage of the Jewish nation, you know, going back to Isaac, and um, that that uh, I've, I've been to I've been to a lot of bar, you know, bar, when you were uh, a bar mitzvah, yeah, uh, I've been to several of I've had several friends, I've had friends of mine, I've been to their sons, I've been to bat mitzvahs for the mm. girls, so. Um, you're 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 comparing apples to uh, to oranges there in terms of a legal law that says uh, a man man's law that says 17 is in the state of Texas because it varies around the country. Yes, and uh, it doesn't vary within Judaism. So 13 is the is the age, and uh, if I were you, I would be very comfortable. Phil, have you have you been to Israel, Phil Waters? If there's anyone in this world that would love Israel, it would be you. You would be obsessed with the history there. Uh, my wife and I have talked about going to the Holy Land for the last ten years. We even were set up to go, and there were some circumstances that occurred. In fact, our church. In Magnolia, in Texas, is going to the Holy Land this fall, and we just are, mm. the timing's just not right. So, uh, yes, that is that is our uh, our ultimate destination on travel. We've traveled all through Europe and so forth and so on. So, but uh, yeah, we we definitely want to go to the Holy Land. Well, Phil, I'm going to be there next summer once again, and uh, I have a tour guide there for you, um, who's a former. Israeli military commander. So I'm going to formally invite you. We'll talk about this off air. And he will take you. Yes, for sure. Yeah. He that is would be awesome. Call, yeah. He's about 90 years old now, but he's strong as an ox. He's an architect. He has developed many of the towns in Israel. And uh, he fought. I, can't, I don't even want to go here. It's just. He fought in the Battle of Janine, which there's a battle going on there t today in the West Bank. But he fought there in 1967. I was just having a conversation with him. And uh, he is a fascinating guy. And he, his best friend is an Arab-Israeli whose name is Mustafa. Mustafa was a Mossad agent. This guy has a very fascinating life. But we'll, mm. we'll discuss that uh, a little bit more offline. But 67, anyway. that's the... Uh Six, seven, that's the six-day war, right? Seven-day yeah. war? Six Correct. Six-day war, yep. And 72, 70, Charlie would know this better than me, it was the Yom Kippur War. Yes. Both yeah. very brutal wars. Um, look at this. Tali's right here. Where is Nugget? She just saw him. I'm, I'm delayed on the uh, on the comments here. Uh, Scott, Scott, oh boy, there's thunder and lightning. Scott Duffy. Um, so continuing with the Rudy <laughs> Ferry story here. So we'll do lives next summer from Budapest and uh, Jerusalem, Scott and Phil. But until then, 
uh, this guy, Rudy Farias, um, it turns out now police say that Rudy Farias had actually returned home one day after he was reported missing in 2015. One day. Uh, but for eight years, they thought he was gone. Uh, officers say that the case is still under investigation. This is the curveball, Scott Duffy. So now this guy, Rudy Farias, would only interview with law enforcement with a local um, activist in Houston, a guy named Quanell X. Have you ever heard of this guy, Phil Waters? He's a local Houston. <laughs> Do you know him? Yeah. yeah. No? Oh, yeah. Quanell the 10th, yeah. You know him, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we dealt with uh, Quanell. Uh, he's a local uh, activist, uh, Nation of Islam, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Quanell. So, so anyway, he would... For whatever reason, Scott Duffy, and I should probably get myself in trouble here. For whatever reason, this guy, Rudy Farris, would only speak to police with Quanell um, present. And what Quanell told police about Rudy Farris is that he had been sexually abused, which is no joke, and drugged for years. And it was his mother. She would ask him, Quanell said, to play daddy. She told him that he had to be the husband, and that is allegedly why he ran away. Um, Quanell said, I never heard of a mother doing this to a child, what this woman did, uh, and says that boy needs to go to the best drug rehab and best psychological mental health facility we can find for him. He's a good kid. That kid was just severely abused. So Scott Duffy, I mean, this kind of starts to come into focus now, right? Because this is probably why the mom didn't want investigators to know. And at the same time, this guy is probably looking for a way out. Um, this takes a pretty twisted turn. It's, it's, I mean, I have, I don't know. I mean, there are cases, obviously the Menendez case comes to mind where the mother, uh, Kitty is alleged to have abused the children. Um, but sexually that's a, a whole different ball game. Scott Duffy, what do you make of this? Uh, boy, I'm still confused. So mother was the reporting party on missing. Yes. And and so he then, so he should have just left and kept on going, but then he comes back. And that's a great point. The mom, as far as I know, did report him missing, but the mom is also allegedly abusing him. So would that make yeah. sense? And then she's also yeah. allegedly the one not saying that he's coming back. So I don't know. I'm lost at this point. Um, yeah, so my thought is, 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 um, is she continuing her abuse through the years? Um, and of course he becomes an adult male, but I'm not sure where his mind is in a mental capacity. So, um, you know, I've seen people report other people missing and then, you know, for one reason or another, either because somebody was alleged to have committed a crime and so thereby they need to disappear. So the police don't keep showing up at your door to keep looking for this now fugitive. But this sounds like a victim who's reported missing, but then returns to the scene of the crime. So I'm, I'm still, where's, so where's the, uh, well, so let me let me, let me tell you a little more about what Quanell had to say. Um, Quanell says she, the mother, oh, by, uh, Joel, Joel, yes sir, Joel, yes sir, 
Joel, by the way, Quan uh, Ellis' name is Ralph. But, uh, but anyway. Ralph? Um, out of respect Ralph. to Quan L, I will refer to him as Quan L X. <laughs> Bill yeah, Waters, sure. I'll let you refer to him as Ralph. I don't want to get sued or get beat up. Um, but Quan L X <laughs> went on and he said uh, about Rudy Farias, Scott Duffy, the quote continues. She convinced him, Rudy, that he was in trouble for initially running away and that law enforcement wanted to arrest him and put him in jail for running away. She had convinced him that all types of agencies were looking for him to put him in jail. So it sounds like she was playing mind games, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just I don't know uh, what to make of this. It goes on uh, to say that police obviously have their doubts uh, with one. Uh, officer out of Houston. I, do you know a uh, Lieutenant Christopher Zamora, Phil Waters? Mm, I, I do know some Zamoras. That may be a son of the. Of well, he said Lieutenant that I'm Lieutenant Christopher Zamora <laughs> said that Rudy was not missing during the eight-year period. Um, he made contact with patrol officers out on the street. However, during these contacts, fictitious names and dates of birth were given, again, misleading officers, and Rudy would remain missing. Um, a neighbor said, he used to come to my garage, chill with my cousin, son, and daughter. That boy was never missing. Um, and then the mother, Phil Waters, had identified her own son as her nephew, What's going on here, Phil? I have no idea what's going on here. Well, I think you've hit on something. It sounds to me, and this is just based on what we've talked about here, the newspaper articles that I've read, and I did read what uh, Quanell said, and um, it would appear that, letting evidence lead me where we need to be, that there is some sort of a uh, an incestuous relationship going on here. To what degree we don't know, but there's this young man now. It sounds like has been egregiously manipulated by his mother for her own purposes. So um, it's, Phil, does it one sounds disgusting. Does one, whichever way it goes. Does it does somebody ever recover from this, Phil, do you think? When it's your own mother? Well, I I think to say they recover from it, that's a pretty general term. I, I would I would couch it in more of, of, of a sense that there hopefully will come a time where they have dealt with it and been able to move on from it. I don't know that there's ever what I would call a recovery. I think it's uh, it certainly is going to change their lives forever and ever. Amen. And what, what you hope for is that this young man can put his life back together. And because we don't know, I, I did read somewhere where he had been sexually abused. So this may be the mother that's doing this and that we don't know when that started. Yeah. And it appears that that kind of thing may be continuing. So, but I don't know that, I don't know that anyone ever 
recovers to use that word. I think they <clears throat> hopefully get to a point where they, excuse me, they, they're able to deal with it and move on with their lives. Uh, Pam Hart Young, uh, Phil getting deluged with questions here. Uh, hi, Joel. My daughter lives in Moscow with my grandson. I'm in North Carolina. She says they need to leave the house alone until, by the way, this is back to Coburger, obviously. Uh, leave the house alone until someone is convicted. Question for Maui man Phil. It's not in Maui, but I like that name. I like the alliteration. Uh, with what is known, is he the guy? Is Koberger the guy, Phil, with what you know? I would say the evidence at this point in time tells me that he is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, Tolly says, Phil, and we could ask Scott this one as well, obviously. Have you ever worked a crime scene that was described as being very brutal and messy and no DNA was found? Aside from the sheath, is it even possible to not leave anything? Were you surprised there was no DNA, at least none that we know of? Uh, although there was some other male DNA, but uh, Phil, your response to Tolly's inquiry well i've had scenes that i was surprised that we didn't get any dna i've had scenes where we got the dna but it's not an identifiable profile i've had dna i've had scenes where i've had dna where the profile <clears throat> excuse me a partial profile but it was not suitable for entering dakotas so i've had all forms of that type of thing. So I, the, the answer, the short answer is yes. Uh, and was I surprised? No. Scott Duffy, your answer to this question? Y yes, right. It's, uh, it's not, uh, I, I guess I, I've seen it where there's, I'm trying to figure out the best way to answer this. It, it it comes down to DNA is an awesome thing. It is unique. It places you at the scene or at least the transfer from a victim to another scene and so forth. But um, it all comes down to if this individual is masked and gloved and he does not suffer a cut. So... I, I mean, I can you know, maybe sweat, but you're you're talking about let let's just say to understand the victims here have suffered um, brutal stabbings, so there's lots of um, bodily fluids and whatnot. But for the individual, if he catches them off guard and suffers no wound. You know, I I can see why they wouldn't find his DNA, at least from what we're being told. It, there could be something, obviously, with the with the gag order that there is DNA. But uh, let's just assume at the end when it all comes out that there wasn't any further DNA other than what has been reported on the sheath. I mean, it's not surprising, especially if... Um, if uh, he's, you know, does not suffer a wound and there's not this profuse blood or some other bodily fluid, um, touch DNA, which is, you know, you touch something is not, not, uh, not always, right? 
and you have to be very specific as 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 to and that's where you have video cameras you know for example uh, just take a bank robberies video and and so forensics is going to come in and watch the video because they're not just going to swab the whole bank they're going to um to look at the video and see where exactly the person had physical contact with anything and, and then go to those specific items. So if you, if you have no video in the house, you, you're, it's, you know, you're not, you're not just taking a, a paint roller that's collecting everything off the walls and carpet and floors. So no, it doesn't, it would not surprise me. It would not change to me the dynamic of the prosecution. Um, so, you know, here's a, an astute observation uh, from Gabrielle Scholz. I'm sensing a little tension between Phil and the rooster, uh, followed by Nugget, followed by Nugs, followed by Hey Nugget. As you can tell, I uh, I lag behind here. Uh, Phil, I'd love a quick response to this one here from Aunt Clara before we go on to a different case. Um the only evidence we know of has been proven suspicious. The DNA is transfer DNA. It's quite easy to be set up. This is the Coburger. Is that an accurate statement, uh, Phil Waters? Would it be easy to set up Brian Coburger here? Well, that, and that goes to, uh, look, uh, easy to set him up. I mean, what would be the motive? I mean, I'm not going to answer that as a close-ended answer because – that hypothesis, I don't, I don't even agree with the, with what the question is. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, if there was a big conspiracy and all of a sudden you got all the cops and all the agents and all the detectives from the state, we all got together and we had this huge conspiracy and we set up Brian Colbert. I, I, that's insanity. I mean, that really is. Uh, these big conspiracy things that come about with cases like this, and I've had them. Uh, they always end up boiling down to something very simple. And that's what's going to happen here. So uh, getting into the weeds about DNA and all this other stuff, because this is going to be one of these big picture cases, and it's going to be the sum of the evidence, of all of the evidence that is going to get him convicted. It will be the sum of the evidence. And if the prosecution presents that evidence, in the way that they should and shows to the jury that he is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, then that will be the outcome. So everybody kind of needs to hold back here a little bit. Let's see if it goes to trial. Let's see what's presented at trial and let's see what the final verdict is. But to um, take one piece of evidence and say that all of a sudden it's a setup and it was planted and all this other stuff. Uh, I mean, that makes for a good television show, I guess, but that's just not, at least in my experience, that's not reality. In regards to the rooster, the <laughs> tension is not between me and the rooster. It's between my wife and the rooster. She really does not like the rooster. You know, It doesn't bother me. I could care less. I don't feel really you. Bill, you've taught me that uh, any person under the right circumstances or actually the wrong circumstances commit a evil crime. I hope your wife does not go out um, 
and give that rooster the ultimate uh, punishment. I hope that does not happen. Well, she's, she suggested that, that I do something about it, but I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to be a co-defendant in any kind of proceeding that might result in the demise of that rooster. Um, as I like to say, Phil, roosters are people too. Um, please be kind to the rooster. Uh, it breathes <laughs> air just, just like you. Uh, Squeaky Wheel says the little chihuahua is ready to tear into an ankle at the drop of a hat. Uh, that would be Nugs. Nugs. Followed by, I love this name, Sneaky Freeloading O2 Breather. High from Cornwall, UK. Uh, made alive. It's late there, whatever time that is. And uh, Ethel, no. Uh, yeah, she is uh, back. Um, there was something that I just forgot that I wanted to bring up that I didn't bring up. Um, Lorna says, poor Ethel. Um, Lindsay Shea says, Ethel was my grandmother's name. Precisely why I named her Ethel. She kind of looks like an old lady. And uh, when you try to get her out of your spot in your own bed, she looks at you like you're out of your mind. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Phil Waters just shared some amazing photos with me when he was in undercover narcotics from the 80s, I believe, early 90s. Um, Bill Waters, do I have permission to share those on Instagram? Sure. Uh, the Instagram handle is surviving the survivor. I will put a couple of those out. Um, I don't want to give you, this is a spoiler alert. He had an amazing mullet, an unbelievable mullet, and he looked like... Um, a drug guy. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> the photos are unreal. Um, a lot of Sold a lot of notes. Oh, yeah. Um, Joel, we are calling PPS, uh, Puppers Protective Services. Um, I need to get a higher fence, and it's a pretty high fence. Scott, look at this. We have a Pyrenees Lab Mix. Best dog ever from Beth Bergman. Um, all dogs are awesome. Uh, watching from Vancouver. Watching from the, am I reading this right? The Ponderosa Ranch in Utah. I need to go to the Ponderosa Ranch in Utah. Um, moving on to this next story, Scott Duffy. This is a former ballerina charged with sec second-degree murder for the death of her husband, she argued it happened in self-defense, and of course it happened in uh, Florida, my state, with a stand-your-ground rule. Ashley Benefield is her name. This has uh, been dubbed the Black Swan Trial. She's accused of murdering Douglas Benefield in her Florida bedroom on September 27, 2020. They met at a dinner party, Scott Duffy. Uh, by the way, there's no real twist or turn in here, uh, and I don't really know the relevance other than this is a pretty popular story right now, and I wanted to get your take. But the husband was 54. He lost his wife to some illness and uh, met Ashley. She was 24. Do the math. That's 30-year difference. Uh, he said that age hardly mattered. Quote, unquote, uh, this is – I don't know whose quote this is. Uh, this is a uh, a writer who interviewed uh, I guess the husband at one point said that he just immediately thought that Ashley was the most beautiful, the most amazing person in the world. Um, she calls nine. She calls a neighbor and the neighbor says that they received a 911 call from one of Ashley's 
neighbors. Uh, she had gone over the neighbor, said that she had been attacked by her husband and shot him. She used a 45. Uh, but then, Scott Duffy, and we'll drop this last nugget and let you take it from there. Based on the entry wounds on Douglas, it does not appear that he was facing Ashley when she began shooting. It also does not appear that Douglas had taken any kind of defensive or combative stance. After being shot, Douglas fell to the ground, and it appears that he may have struck his head on the wall on the way down. They met in 2016. They married 13 days later. The first wife had passed. She became pregnant right after the wedding and moves uh, to Florida to live with her mother. They had been living in Charleston. Douglas comes down to Florida. That's when this happens. I'll stop right there. Is your radar going up here at all? Do you think that she was attacked in self-defense, especially considering that uh, he had his back to her, according to reports? Yeah, without seeing the evidence pictures, I just as you're as you're reading some of the um, particulars, there there are some red flags that are popping up in my head. But um, I I would have. Uh, I would like to see, yep, just what the crime scene tells. The crime scene, was it staged? And if it wasn't, what, uh, you know, she, so she provides an interview. She provides details of her account. There's only one side to be told here since only one party is living. But uh, good evidence collection and documentation of the scene can tell otherwise. And so I would uh, put the two and two together. It would, if, if, um, if she was willing to be interviewed, it almost sounds like she provided a statement, right? Because it's a self-defense, so she's saying what she wants to say. But I would I, right away, I'm thinking, okay, so it's a pretty quick relationship-turned uh, marriage. The years of difference, well, it all depends um, what's in her background. So I would like to do a victimology. I would like to do... Uh, like to figure out where she came from, where how she arrived in the picture, and I would be very interested to see um, any previous documentation of assaults or fights or the police coming to do a domestic. And then I would like to see how much money is in life insurance in her name. Mm. So those those are going through my head as you're talking about this case. Spoken like a true investigator, right? There's always the life insurance. Ketchup says, uh, thank you, Ketchup. It would be a great experience for you and the entire family. Lorna says, you will like Budapest. I bet you I will. Look at this. This almost brings a tear to my eye. We will still be here for you, Joel. I hope so. I don't want to lose STS Nation. Sally says, that will be an awesome experience. That's such a good trip. Um Maui Swift, one of the original, one of the OGs, says, how exciting, Joel. Um, Phil Waters, back to the uh, Black Swan trial. Um, detectives, like yourself, said that after learning she was pregnant, Ashley began making allegations against Douglas. She also filed complaints against him in the months leading up to his death. The judge, however, uh, during a hearing said, during an injunction hearing, advised that she did not find Ashley's story to have a quote unquote scintilla of truth. 
and ordered Douglas, the husband, to have full access to the child for visitation. Ashley, at that point, had apparently exhausted all legal means of keeping the child away. Um, have we just come to a motive in a murder here, uh, Phil Waters? Well, I think so, just based on what you shared. Um, you know, I'm in agreement with Scott. I mean, there's a lot of background stuff here we, we need to look at about her and about him and the nature of that relationship and how it got started. And then where it progressed to, it sounds to me like she's just a, you know, she's a, I'll use that technical term that we used to use in homicide. She, she was a nut. She continued to be a nut and she's ended up being a nut, which has cost the life of her husband and father and children. So yeah, there's a, uh, she's, I've, I've looked at, I guess it's her mugshot. Um, she's got a, as much as a picture can tell. She's she's got a different look on her face of a person yes. that's, that's kind of got something going on there. If the eyes are the windows of the soul, there's there's something going on there back there somewhere. And uh, so who knows? But you know what I've read about the case, the 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 judge is spot on about her just being a, she's, uh, the like, the, the likelihood is that she's a pathological liar. She believes, she believes her own bull crap and uses that to justify the sociopathic behavior. And there's no, that I've read, there's no evidence that she was, killing him uh, in self-defense. So it's, I think she's going to have a, she's going to have a rough road to, to hope. Hmm. Uh, this is a great idea from Copper Horse, who tweets out our show links, which I love. You could do some walkabout streams if you can get cell service, Joel, and share some of your trip with us. Um, I will definitely do that. I will get you, not only a stream, but midstream of Carm yelling at me for something when I'm overseas, which undoubtedly will happen. So uh, I will definitely do that. Um, I love this comment because I will make this happen too. Joel, can we get signed copies of the book at the STS merch store, limited edition and such? Um, I will be happy to do that. And I'll have to talk to the chief technical officer about it. Um, so that's it with the, the, uh, Black Swan woman, uh, she actually just had a, a stand your ground hearing and uh, didn't catch what came of that. But if anyone here happens to know, uh, that is the default uh, defense here in Florida, I guess, for situations like this. Uh, we will see how it plays out in a court of law. But uh, Scott Duffy, uh, we've covered this story before. You will know this one well. You might not remember the name. Matthew Nilo. Uh, he is the New Jersey lawyer who is now accused of being a Boston serial rapist. Um, he was attacking women when he was 19, 20 years old, according to police, uh, back in 2000 and 2008. He was now, um, he's now been charged with five more sex attacks. By the way, this guy bonded out uh, not long ago. I think it was $500,000, but 
Uh, he had already been charged in three attacks, and now um, he's charged with five more. Uh, there was a eighth person that he uh, failed to attack successfully. So he's accused of trying to attack eight, seven of them uh, he actually uh, raped and assaulted. Um, does it surprise you, Scott Duffy, to find out that a guy uh, who we covered you know, a month ago had raped and attacked three women is now being charged for raping and attacking eight women. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. Kudos to law enforcement everywhere. And I don't know if those additional cases are different places or all stemming from the same jurisdiction he had left. But um, no, this this is exactly once you've identified somebody and, um, you know, the case... The case gets stronger when law enforcement says, are there others? And and so now you have you have witnesses or victims that can come out and say this, or you have um, DNA that's been collected through a series of, of I imagine these are stranger rapes of, of sorts, whether or not uh, um, some dating, or I, I forget the circumstances, but the... You know, now you have uh, my, my guess here is the as, as quick as they're able to get these additional charges, some great and mounting evidence. And it seems like every day that's going by, the evidence gets stronger. So the, I would I would say they're probably DNA links. And, uh, you know, now that you have an identified individual and there's a Local swab, and now you are able to put that DNA into a database and to see if there are other um, hits from unknown cases, if that's exactly what happened here, as opposed to, you know, coming up with uh, with an identity of an individual and, and additional people now calling, contacting law enforcement to say, that's the guy who also assaulted me, and I did report it, or so it's I, I, fantastic police work, and it absolutely doesn't surprise me. And I think it, it lends to just how uh, this, you know, what seems to be more like a serial rapist. And I, I would be surprised if there aren't additional. And we are getting closer to the finish line to put a little exclamation mark on the Boston accused Boston serial rapist. Uh, one of those uh, women, he actually attacked twice Within 11 days, uh, not a good person if this guy, in fact, committed these crimes. Attacked the same woman, sexually assaulted or raped her twice within 11 days. I cannot imagine uh, what, you know, went on in her mind and how she's, I'm sure, still dealing uh, with the effects of that all these years later. Um, Joey Wilson, Phil Waters, I'm glad, brings this up. This case, we're talking about Rudy Farias, back to him. That truth is always stranger than fiction. Um, I just asked this question of a psychologist yesterday. We were doing the Suzanne Morphew story, which is a missing mom in Colorado. She was married to a former professional athlete. Looks like he may have snapped, but the prosecution botched the case. Anyway, he looks like for the time being, he's walking. But Phil Waters, have you found in your career that uh, truth is stranger than fiction and why well the answer is yes 
it is always stranger. The truth is always stranger than, than fiction because it is the truth. It's not something that's made up. It's something that's real life. And whatever the circumstances were that came together at that point in time that caused that particular event to occur is organic. And it's not something that somebody's sitting around a, a studio or, or a, a room trying to think up something. Because in my experience, I can tell you, uh, of all the movies I've watched, all the cop shows I've watched, and all the, all the stuff that I've watched uh, on television that is produced from the minds of men, doesn't hold a candle to the incidents and events that I have seen myself that were the result of the actions of men and women in true time. Mm. Um, Sharon McCarthy, having my back here from Canada, leave your DNA on the uh, like button, please. I was going to do two more stories, but... I feel like I've abused Phil this uh, week, not Scott, because I had Phil. We did a two-hour. We're always working here. Uh, that's what you don't know behind the scenes, and these guys are gracious enough, and Phil told me an incredible story. Um, so we'll leave it after this story. Uh, and, Phil, this one is your home state, and this is news today. I am a former news reporter, uh, so I like to stay on top of the news. The white Texas gunman, and that's important here, the white Texas gunman who shot and killed 23 people in a racist attack at an El Paso Walmart in 2019 was given 90, 90 consecutive life sentences in federal prison on Friday. Uh, Phil Waters, this guy's name is Patrick Crucius. Uh, he was sentenced to these multiple life terms. He pleaded guilty in February to nearly 50 federal hate crime charges. Um, and the quote is, uh, well, he opened fire with an AK style semi-automatic rifle on August 3rd, 2019. After he ranted online about a quote unquote, Hispanic invasion of Texas. I will ask you an open-ended question. Now, what's the matter with people? Well, I've answered this before, and uh, I think everybody knows what my answer is. But in that particular case, the the um, those were all federal charges that he pled to, these hate crime things. He's still looking at the state charge prosecution where the death penalty may be applied. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he pled to the federal charges because they removed the death penalty from the table, if I'm not mistaken, on that case. Um, but it, it's, it's the hate crime stuff. I mean, to me, what he did, regardless of the motivation, was horrific. And that evildoer, the state of mind that he was in, is just a condition of what he did. These hate crime laws that 
really, I mean, it's, it satisfies a, I guess, an emotional need perhaps, or maybe a political agenda of some kind. But how many times can you punish somebody because they hated the person that they, that they killed or persons? Because every time an act of violence occurs, regardless of who it is on, and, and regardless of what form it takes, there is always the element of hate involved. So to pick out different parts of society and say that because they hated that particular group, therefore they are more guilty than what they, for what they did, I think is just, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, contrived. So this person did what they did, and they did it for the reasons they did it, and they were uh, made themselves an evildoer for having done it, fueled by hate. And uh, hopefully that when he is tried under the state charges, that they will try that as a death penalty case, and he will be, uh, he will be found guilty, and he will be given the ultimate punishment as a result of his actions. Uh, Tali says, and I forgot this, Scott was here in Israel. He said he had crazy days in Tel Aviv. Phil, you would love it. Um, Scott, how was Israel when you were there? How long were you there for? I was there three months. If we, this if um, yeah. is a uh, picture of the Dead Sea where I inscribed my four kids into what looked like sand, but it's all salt. So I toured the country up and down, both officially and of course, personally, and um, were you working a case there? What were you doing? Were you working a case? Uh, so the the FBI has what they call legal attaché uh, attaché offices, mm -hmm. and so a good friend of mine in the bureau had known that I wanted to visit Israel for some time. So he he was the head FBI agent and uh, brought me over for a couple of months to kind of fill in for vacations and then kind of test the waters if I wanted to do a permanent assignment there. So um, I had a wonderful, wonderful time. Mm. It's a cool, Tel Aviv's a very fun city. It's a party city. Uh, Marissa Hernandez correcting me. Boca Raton is mouth of the mouse, not rat, by the way. Um, I'll take your word for that on uh, Marissa, but uh, either way, never thought of it that way. Um, Phil Waters, I'm going to end on this, and this is actually very depressing. And, and Scott and I have actually, for full disclosure, talked about this uh, amongst ourselves. I like to end on depressing things for some reason. Um, and then we'll have a, I don't know, get off of this story and end on something better. But Phil, uh, Scott and I have talked about this because it's from his neck of the woods, and we've done a few stories. I just without you knowing much about anything, but I'm going to explain to you, I wanted to get your quick take on this. And then I would love to get you guys to read up on it. And I told Scott this and do a full fledged show, but there's a woman, Ellen Greenberg. I think I've mentioned her before, but we've, we're now doing more and more shows. She was a school teacher in Philadelphia, the suburbs, Phil 2011. She is found dead uh, the night of a very bad snowstorm. She was going home to prepare food, to wedding plan, uh, 20 stab wounds, 10 to the front, 10 to the back of her head, back of her neck. Two, it turns out, in an independent autopsy, confirmed that they happened after her heart stopped beating, which is hard to do because that means you're dead. And uh, 
within that it was ruled a homicide initially within like 10 or 12 hours it was ruled un, uh, undetermined cause of death and then three months later a suicide uh the judge of the nephew of the fiance the uncle she was living with the fiance he had an uncle who is high up uh as a judge lawyer in the philadelphia area after before calling 911 the fiance calls this uncle the uncle comes over for whatever reason philadelphia police let them in they're able to have a professional crime scene cleaning crew clean this place and the uncle walks off with cell phones and laptops uh multiple investigators are kind of looking at this it is a major travesty of justice what should be done in this case how would you go back you know not in details i know you don't know the minutiae that well but if you were to start investigating this from scratch from 2011 what where would you start on this wow uh, we have talked about this case before this is 12 years ago is that what i remember yeah. 2011 so 12 30, yeah 12 years ago yes I like that. Uh, so well you would have to begin at the beginning right i mean you, you've got to if you've got access to that case file i would want to see everything that has been accrued or accumulated through all of these investigations i mean all of it and it would be a very tedious process to go through all of those reports, all of those lab reports, all of the witness statements that were taken, any kind of evidence that was collected, and try to piece together what is believed to have happened. And I, I tell you what, there are some times, and again, I don't know all those things about this case. But I can tell you that I have had cases where walking into the scene, it would appear that this person was murdered and was found by a, a family member. This one specific case I'm thinking of. And it just looked like that, I mean, there was transfer blood it, it was the, the house. Yeah, it was the fiance uh, who discovered her. Um, he had said at the time that the security guard in the building went with him. He never, the security guard never did. Um, there is, by the way, there's a stand-up guy. He's a former state trooper that Scott knows of, named Tom Brennan, who's been investigating this pro bono. Um, he is a hundred thousand percent convinced it is a murder. Um, how can there be such a travesty of justice, Phil Waters? Well, again, I don't know what he knows, and I don't know what the official investigation, investigators, detectives know. So it's really hard for me to comment on that. I'm just saying that in my own experience that I have I've had a scene that a family member found their, their family member dead. There was transfer of blood all over the house. There was there were things that would indicate that this person was murdered, maybe even chased down and finished off. And as it turned out, the investigation showed that the person died from a heart attack induced by 
a, a particular medication they were taking. So, you know, I, without having seen, without seeing this whole thing laid out on a table and examining each piece of it, I would be um, reluctant to make any particular comments specific to it. But uh, um, it's kind of amazing, though. You got this guy that's saying for sure, and I. And I think I remember that the initial part of this was that it was ruled a homicide at, at the first part, right? And then the detectives and other people went and had the ruling changed, I think, either to suicide or undetermined. But um, So that, that makes me wonder right off the bat, what did they find in the course of the investigation? that caused all of that to change suddenly. Because that's a pretty sudden change. You change it from a homicide to a suicide. I've had cases where it was ruled a suicide and then it turned out to be a homicide. But uh, it's, it's an odd case. There's no doubt about it. And it, it doesn't seem to be any end to it. Um, well, I will. Uh, I, so I told I'm Scott still, this. And I, yeah. Yeah. I told Scott, I'm going to try to get you guys some of the case files if you want to look at it. Um, and then maybe we can do a show about it because I'm trying to get the, the word out. Um, Chelsea Whitaker, uh, question for Phil and Scott. Scott, is a human brain like a goldfish? I'm not exactly sure what that <laughs> means, but do you care to answer? And by the way, Scott, Dr. Parsons you are clearly partial to Phil. If I was Scott, I would never, ever, ever return. Scott, I don't feel that way. Um, you know that I love my children equally, and I love my detectives and FBI agents equally. Um, you know, so Dr. Parsons can sort of buzz off because she doesn't know the whole story, Scott. She doesn't know that we email each other, that we talk, that we hang out. Um you know, so anyway, maybe it's my own. Gift. Yeah, I'm not sure where what that comment's about. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't even know what I was just asking you, Scott. Oh, are you yes. Is our is the human brain like a goldfish, uh, Scott Duffy? Yeah, so what is, is, is that? I don't even know who, who wrote that. Are they indicating that the human brain is as small as a goldfish's brain and is in a, in a Goldfish is pretty small to begin with, so um, is that where they're leading down? <laughs> Phil, um, <laughs> right. Phil were you able to? Phil, what are they talking about? Because I don't know. Um, there, there, is, there is a joke though related to goldfish and humans. I just can't. I can't remember what the joke is, and I'm thinking that it has to do with that. Hold on here. I, so I don't know. That's what I said. I mean, I'm waiting for the punchline. It says follow-up in that there is a rumor that a goldfish will grow in size to its environment. Um, Modine, who likes to troll us, says goldfish might be smarter than most humans. That I don't disagree with, but um, uh, what's, what's this say? Francis weighing in on the Scott Duffy, Phil Waters attention giving. Scott don't get much talk time. That's all. Scott calculates his response. 
Scott is much more. Scott is much more calculated for sure. Um, and Scott's a sweetheart. I mean, even Phil calls him Saint Scott. Um, switches back. Switches back. So uh, I think that's the end of the show. I just don't know how to say goodbye to these guys. Uh, Phil Waters. I will have him wrap up first now, so I don't get accused of letting him get the last word. Phil Waters has been a detective for. 937 years and uh drives a ferrari like magnum pi um phil bible study tonight pizza tomorrow night is anything changing there no i am a creature of habit my o my ocd is in full full bloom mm, i love it um you're not having my wife reminds me all the time and like, I want to say something about these people, you know, this this constant carping and all. Look, look, I'm the loudest one. Scott's the quiet one. That's the way it is. Get over yourselves. We make a great team. Joel is the host. We're all we're always asked questions. I tend to talk more than Scott does. That's just the way it is. And if you don't like it, don't freaking watch. Good grief! Save save yourself the stress. I mean, and you know, move we would have made, you know, move we on. We would have made great here, folks. Move on. Yeah, do you imagine Phil and Scott as actual partners, like uh, covering an investigation? I wish we could go back in time and make that happen. Um, Sally says everything we know already. Scott is very sweet. Hello, SDS Nation uh, from Scotland. Uh, ketchup says, oh, this, this warms my heart in a weird, twisted, demented way. Oh, always get sad whenever the show is about to end. Me too. That's why I can't say goodbye, uh, Ketchup. Um, Scott Duffy, you've got the seagull shirt on. Are you, uh, you going out for seafood tonight? What's happening? No, not going out. So I just want to say 22 years ago today, my wife and I got married on uh, a beautiful town in Pennsylvania outside Philadelphia. And so we celebrated before because as I saw the comments about changing dinner plans and whatnot, which is very nice, we did too. So we celebrated early, knowing the show would be here at five. Happy anniversary. I love it. Happy anniversary. 22 years. Um, Misty says, Julie says, congrats. And Misty says, love the show. Have a great weekend, gentlemen. Look at this. Now they're starting to flood in. Scott knows how to pull on the heartstrings. Happy anniversary. Oh, my God. That is so sweet. Look at that. OMG. That is so sweet. Catherine Regier uh, in uh, Hawaii. Oh, happy anniversary. By the way, I am not T-Pain. I wasn't ignoring you today. I saw some comments. I was just, uh, I don't know what happened. So shout out to T-Pain. Uh, Space Coast. Space Coast. Perhaps the most important person here. Uh, he is the chief technical officer's blood relative. He was mad that I doxed him, but uh, <laughs> that guy keeps me in good graces with the chief technical officer. Whenever she uh, flings a book my way in anger, I have to have uh, Space Coast get involved and step in. Um, gentlemen, I appreciated a quick programming note. Sunday. 12 p.m. Eastern time. Phil will get up at 5 a.m. Hawaiian time to watch it. We are doing the case. It's a, it's a cold case from exactly 30 years ago. Brett Cantor was a 25-year-old music executive. I believe he was either stabbed 22 or 27 times in his 
home or on his way home. Um, and the case is still unsolved. And there's an LA former LA County Sheriff's detective who is investigating this. There is a podcast called Dragonfly. Uh, he has been an integral part of that podcast. And uh, we're going to have him on along with a profiler this Sunday with your co-host, the great Carm. She will be here. Until then, love you, America. Love you, Delaware. Now I got to put Scott first and Philly, even though Philly, get your act together with Ellen Greenberg. Do something, Mayor. Do something, Governor Shapiro. And uh, love you, Hawaii and Houston. Aloha. Aloha. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.